Welcome to The Wine Beat, and welcome to part two of The Wines of Spain. I'm Craig. Your real host today, though, is Shannon Ward. She's going to guide us through this, the second part of our tour of Spain. Uh, she's already taken us through a bunch of the best wine country in Spain in part one. In that episode one, we started in, uh, in, in Barcelona. So we were in Catalonia, and we covered some of the regions there, like Penedès, Priorat, Montsant. Uh, and then we headed north along the Pyrenees Mountains, and we skipped through uh, Somontano, Navarra, stopped in the Basque Country some, for some great food and wine there, some really special stuff um, that, 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 that occurs only in the Basque Country. Um, and then we ended part one in Rioja, the very, you know, iconic region of Rioja, and we talked quite a bit about Rioja. In this part two, uh, we're going to pick up, we're continuing this sort of roughly counterclockwise circumnavigation of the country of Spain. And we're picking it up in Rias Baixas in Galicia in the far northwest corner of the country. And then we're going to head out uh, back south, uh, roughly Toro, Rueda, Castilla y León. We're going to stop in Sherry country briefly, uh, Humilla, Yecla, all these really, really exotic names, some of which you may not have much experience with, but really terrific um, uh, and really, you know, uh, up-and-coming wine regions. Spain has got so much. Uh, Shannon and I cover this in the two parts in, you know, just over an hour in total. It's crazy to try to cover it in an hour, but that's what we've done. It's a good introduction. Hope uh, hope you find it super interesting. I, I learned a lot as we did this, and uh, Shannon does a, a terrific job as, as our guide. So here we go. This is part two, The Wines of Spain. Cool. Now, we're going to have to get our skates on, so okay. we're going to fly. We're going to take an internal flight from... Uh, we've been dawdling along in our little uh, Vespa to get to Rioja, but now we're going to take a, an internal flight, and we're going to go all the way across to um, Rias Baixas yes. on the wild Atlantic coast. So that's that area you know, north of Portugal. I think it's character, and the Galician character of the people there is is carved or, or, or created by the cold, wet weather that they have for a good portion of the year. Uh, apparently it's very beautiful. I've never been there. It's green. It's, um, you know, it's a lovely, lovely area. But, but I think the people are tough because it's cold and wet and, you know, it's tough to make a living up there. Uh, and there's this tough grape, the Albarino grape, which uh, has made, has, has kind of got reaspicious on the map. Yeah, so the um, yeah north uh, northwest corner of um, Spain, right above Portugal, like you said, um, the climate here is is very wet and it is quite cool. Um, the rain pretty much lasts year round. But the other thing about the weather there is there's a lot of sunshine. Um, Albarino is the dominant grape variety grown there. Um, it the reason that it succeeds is. It has thick skins, so it's it uh, it's is not it's not as susceptible to yep. to, to disease and That's rot. That's what I've heard, right? Now, that it's uh, yeah, it can it can withstand that damp. And That's right. So mold and mildew, so don't bother. Do they also so have um, a traditional style of how they grow their grapes? Um, there, they call it tendon, but we call it pergola. Mm -hmm. So um, basically built up on trellises high away from uh, the ground about you know anywhere from six to eight feet um, from the ground 
Um, allows lots of air movement. Lots of airflow. It also allows them to plant other crops underneath. But but for the grapes themselves, lots of airflow. So there that it it allows that that wet and damp to dry out. Albarino, well, you should just drink Albarino. It's great. It's um, it's it's an age really wine. It, it's fresh. It's aromatic. There's lots of citrus. Lots of acidity to it. Um, I just think it's one of the easiest drinking whites. It's great. It's refreshing. It's got lots of character. It's not like it's. It does have bland. lots of character. It's got tons of character. There is. Um, it it's able to. Um, except a little bit of oak aging. So in um, O Roselle, for example, you might get. Uh, uh, that's one of the subregions. That's right. A little more leaf stirring, a little more oak contact, um, a little bit of a richer style of Albarino, maybe a little more age worthy, um, but just all in all, very, very approachable kind of light style of of wine. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, the last podcast I did was with a Senka tenant at Terra Vista Vineyards, and she yes. grows Albarino and makes a very, very good Albarino. And she was telling us about her, um, the not her theory, because it, I think it's a, it's a quite well-established theory, if, uh, if, if that's the right word, that uh, Albarino is a, is a clone, is a descendant of uh, Riesling. Uh, Alba, meaning uh, banks of, and... Uh, Rino from the Rhine River so that the I didn't know that the grape name yeah it, it's interesting it. um, she mentioned that and then I you know I googled it and there's uh, quite a bit written on this that hmm. it it's 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 theorized that the Albarino is actually a Riesling and it makes a lot of sense right because it has it, it has um, it has that cool hardiness and it has some uh, flavor similarities to so why Riesling. is the world not growing more Albarino it's a good question because I think the world should grow more Albarino. I, I love true. it. I love it. Okay, so uh, thanks for that quick uh, <laughs> discussion of uh, Albarino and Rias Baixas. Well, there's, a, there's a poetry there, Albarino from Rias Baixas, and I think people are really catching on to, the, yeah. to, that, to that variety. Um, and I think Rias Baixas has hit the map right in the last 10 years or so because of Albarino. That's right. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna head a little towards the south. We're gonna steer um, as though we're going back uh, towards Madrid. So we're traveling in some kind of a, um, a southeasterly direction. Um, and there's um, there's some there's some very cool regions as we go towards the southern coast. Um, I think we should talk very briefly about Bierzo, uh, Ribera Sacra. Um, and uh, and ultimately about uh, Ribera del Duero, uh, a much better known region. But there's uh, there's lots going on in this area. I guess we're sort of on the what would you say the eastern border of Portugal now, as we're heading a bit to the south and to the east. So, uh, Bierzo is not a region that I know a lot about, um, but I have come into contact with a few menthias and uh, menthia is a great variety it's it's quite aromatic it's high in acidity um, it resembles cabernet franc in a way sometimes when it's when it's not quite ripe enough but it has great aging potential i've had some some really great old menthia um, that has been great and and the white variety um, of this region is godeo 
um, which is kind of a high acid aromatic grape as well. Um, but it, it's, it's a grape that not a lot of people really look for, or when they do see it they they don't, they don't really know what it is. Um, but it, it's just a region that that's, that's producing some really kind of cool indigenous varieties that, um, that we should be looking, looking at a little bit more and, and they're, they're not expensive. They're, they're really great wines for, for the price points. Yeah. I've had a few Mencias and I, and I like them a lot I, yeah. as a red wine. I think it's, some people it has a say that it's kind of that region's Pinot Noir. I don't, don't know if I go with that exactly. It's, it's a bit more husky than a Pinot Noir, but, uh, um, but I've enjoyed them a lot. And Godejo, I've had some experience with Godejo wines. Um, and uh, and I've liked them a lot as well. Um, but again, it's just something that you maybe don't f- come across so often in the you store. You know, not a common, common couple names that you know, but something that you should definitely look out for. If you want to be cool when you show up at the dinner party, those are wines that you might bring, it's right? true. Yes. Okay, uh, Ribera del Duero, right next door. Um, and now we're in, back in pretty famous Spanish wine country. Yeah, so the so basically the the Duero River Valley, um, which encompasses a few little subregions, um, Toro and Rueda, um, are the first two sort of subappellations uh, upstream from the Portuguese border, moving from uh, west over to east. So Toro comes first. Um, both of these regions sort of sit on the north and south side of the Duero River, which in Portugal is called the Duero River. These two regions are unique in that they are high elevation, and they make they make two kind of dist- This is kind of where we start to move away from Rioja. Toro has um, a different clone of Tempranillo uh, called Tinto de Toro, and Rueda make uh, they the Verdeo grape kind of dominates here. But Toro, um, so Toro more red with this Toro, yes. Tempranillo clone, yes. Um, Tinto de Toro, Tinto de Toro. Okay, and when we think of Rueda, we think white more wine. white, white Verdejo. Yes. So the thing that the really kind of cool thing about Tempranillo is it's um, it's very adaptable. Um, to whatever kind of climate and soil type that you can that you can plant in, while it, it definitely prefers those cool climates and uh, damp soils here, the soils are more alluvial and, and limestone, and um, there it's at higher elevation, so we have um, a more more of like a a swing in temperatures from day to night. Uh, so very cool evenings, very hot days. The fruit hangs on the vines a little longer. Uh, these wines are nothing. There's nothing subtle about Tempranillo from from Toro. It's they're they're big, they're full bodied. Their their tan their tannin structure is much more dominant than uh, Rioja. They're beasts. They they are they're beasts, kind of like Toro. You might think of like bull. They're kind of like that. Fits the name. Yes. Okay. Um, and then moving farther to the east, so we have Rueda. So Rueda is uh, planted, the majority of it is planted with Verdeo. Verdeo is a very cool grape variety to look at. It's um, it it, beautiful wine. It's quite beautiful. aromatic and quite citrus forward, but yeah. it has the, um, it oxidizes very easily. So oh, really? uh, traditionally, 
winemaking style, um, they had these really oxidized kind of styles of white wine, and they realized that if they use more stainless steel, uh, more anaerob- anaerobic winemaking style, yep. they could get a yep. fresher sort of style. So it, yep. it's it's interesting to put um, different styles of these wines on the shelf side by side to to kind of showcase what an oxidative sort of style of Verdeo can achieve and and what a reductive more kind of yeah reductive like anaerobic sort of style Um, it's often blended with Sauvignon Blanc which also uh, dominates that region Um, this Sauvignon Blanc sees a little more oak aging I'd say okay Thanks for stopping us in Toro and Rueda because I might have skipped right over them. Uh, uh, Roberto Duero. Tempranillo dominating again, am I correct? Yes. The, the, the only reason that there, there is really anything other than Tempranillo dom- dominating is uh, because of the presence of uh, Vega Cecilia, which is a famous producer there they in, they introduced much um more kind of international varieties but yeah but the majority uh tempranillo yeah vega cecilia is one of those wine bottles you see on instagram all the time everybody's always showing off their vega cecilia i think ribera del duero is um is great in the sense that toro that toro is great they're they're just toro might be they, they might be just a little uh, less known, um, but Ribera del Duero, because of this kind of influx of money from um, wineries like Pingus and um, Vega Cecilia, uh, they've they've kind of set themselves on a world stage. But again, their climate is very much like Toro mm-hmm. in that it's um, high elevation, um, different clones of Tempranillo. And much more, much more structure, structure to their Tempranillos. Bigger, fuller-bodied um, Vega Cecilia, which was created in 1982, I think they opened there. Um, they kind of introduced a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon into their into their blends, um, and then vineyards and wineries like Pingus. They're some of the highest-priced Spanish wine yeah. you can find on the market. Okay. Not for the wine beat. Too no. expensive. <laughs> no. A little bit too expensive for me. But there too. are some good, um, there are some good, you know, value price wines from Ribera del Duero. I hate that word value price, but some real high quality wines at a good price ratio yep, from Ribera del Duero. It's a good place to look for a nice Tempranillo, right? Yep, definitely. Uh, you don't have to buy Pingus or Vega Cecilia. But to know that those wineries have found success in that region is is uh, worth mentioning because yep. obviously it's a yep. it's a wine region that's capable of producing great quality some of the best qualities in the world yeah right. okay that's yeah. fair enough yeah. yeah um now we're quickly running out of time so we're going to scoot along and we're going to do another region we're, we're going to s- stop very briefly at a, a at a region that deserves uh a full podcast and i'm sure we'll do it eventually and that's the sherry region we're going to we're stopping in jerez and uh, we're in the heart of sherry country uh, in Andalusia. Um, what are we going to say about sherry? So I don't think that you in can... In 30 seconds or less. Oh, boy. I don't think that you can uh, skip this region because historically they're just so important to the country. Uh, they, they've been making sherry for 
centuries in this <clears throat> in this region, and uh, they they really were able to secure a spot in the import export trade with the UK centuries ago. And I, I think that's the really important thing to say about this region, given their proximity to um, the port and for ships to kind of come and go. That that's kind of what put them on the map. So sherry production, we could talk for ages about sherry production. Um, it's not a wine that people turn to so often now, but no, it's it's not just a wine for your grandmothers. It's there. There's so many different styles of sherry, and I think if that's one thing that I could say, and I I wanted to teach people about sherry, there there are literally hundreds of styles of sherry. So if you like dry, there's dry. If you like sweet, there's sweet. If you like somewhere in between, there's lots in between. There's just really nothing like the flavor profile of sherry production, and it's really just based on two great varieties, uh, Palomino and Pedro Jimenez. And uh, it literally just makes everything from from dry to sweet, and they're just the most complex and interesting wines. And when you go there, they pair well with the food, and uh, they have a very interesting way of making their wines in the Solera system, and they yep. use a floor... Uh, you know, oxidative versus sort of uh, biological aging, but it's a whole, It's it could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> I can tell we've hit a passionate sort yeah. of spot <laughs> with you. So, uh, but I would like to do a podcast on Sherry. Maybe, maybe if you're willing, we could do one. That'd be great. Because you're, you've, you've, you've worked and lived there and you've been, you're an expert. In, um, the Solera system, I mean, the fact that they, you know, blend these bottles over decades and blend these barrels I should say over decades and amazing stuff okay uh but we're gonna sorry Shannon I know I know you want to stop and talk about sherry but um so now but we we're 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 on the southern coast we're along the med and we have to head back to Barcelona because we've got our flight back out and along the way there's some really groovy sort of up-and-coming regions um Yekla Humilla Utiel-Requeña, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, I'm sorry, to the Utiel-Requeñese <laughs> people who are out there. But um, I think there's just one little quick thing to mention on the way to the Levante region. Um, La Mancha is this huge, huge area sort of right in the southern central part of Spain. And the area is is so vast and so so huge there are some families there whose um whose properties whose properties are like five times as big as what we have here in Okanagan Valley uh, so I always get this question from people what makes what makes um Spain so inexpensive when when I'm looking to purchase wines but I, I think that La Mancha really sums it up if you, if you see how big these regions are and how much space they have to plant the the, the sheer just numbers of bottles coming out of 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 Spain that is the reason that uh, they don't have to charge the prices that we charge here in the Okanagan. Um, there is a, a small little subregion um, in the south of um, La Mancha called uh, Val de Pinas. Uh, they make Tempranillo there as well. Very good quality Tempranillo. It's called Sensible there. But very dry, like non-irrigated. A lot of places can't irrigate. Um, but there's a, a really cool kind of strip of 
land from there, making great quality. Did you say they call Tempranillo by a different name? I'm sorry. Sensible. Sensible? Yes. Okay. I I wasn't familiar with that. I'm not familiar with that. Sensible. Okay. Tempranillo, it's one of those grapes that has so many different names, it's... Yeah, it's okay. hard to keep track. Anyhow. From the, the what was the subregion? Valdepinas. Valdepina. Okay, so something to look for. Yes. And I, But this is a really, really important point you've made, and I'm glad you stopped us to talk about it, because what, to just to reemphasize what you're saying is that one of the reasons that you find Spanish wines at, a, at an affordable price on the shelves, at an attractive price, is not because the quality is you know, maybe low or it's been made in an industrial way, but it's just that there's estates that are producing um, large, large quantities of wine. I mean, they, they do absolutely dwarf a region like the Okanagan Valley or even the Napa Valley. I had a girl that came into the store last year that told me that her family property is 8,000 hectares. And <laughs> that just, it just that's seems... That's a vineyard. Un- <laughs> that's just her family property. So uh, she charges $12 a bottle for her... For her garnacha, it just, yeah, okay, I can understand why. <laughs> yeah, economies of scale. Yes. Um, and the quality is amazing still. Yes. So okay. moving on into the Levante region, like you had mentioned, the Tiro Requena, uh, Requena uh, Alicante, um, Valencia region, um, Yecla. Um, in this part of the world that we're in right now, uh, those regions are sort of synonymous, synonymous, sorry, for uh, bulk wine production, more inexpensive, but they also represent really great quality. Um, maybe not such um, rigorous kind of uh, winemaking techniques and quality, the you know a- aging requirements, uh, but just represent some really great quality. Um, so maybe not super elegant, super finely tuned wines, but just, you know, wines with personality and character yeah. showing off what yeah. what they can grow. And Although I would say that the subregion of Humilla is one worth looking at. Um, they are very hot and very dry. Uh, they produce um, a lot of monastrel. Um, That's what I think of when I think of these regions, uh, yes. is the Monastrel grape. Mouvedre yep. is, is it's maybe more commonly known uh, uh, Mataro in Australia. The Australians call it Mataro. It's a great yes. name, Mataro. Um, uh, there's some really the same great... Grape. Mataro, yep. Mouvedre. Monastrel, so you'll often see on the label for Spanish wines, Monastrel, and that's what it is. And I think the the the, the kind of cool thing about Monastrel is you can pick it at different ripe um, stages of ripeness. Um, so there's some really great dessert wines coming out of Monastrel, um, sweeter, like higher alcohol. Oh, okay. Dessert um, Monastrel makes great, great sweet wines. Oh, I've never had one. Um, and and I think I think just what the Monastrel grape is um, capable of is worth just makes Humilla worth looking at as a region, as a little subregion. Um, full-bodied, yeah, there uh, can be really great wines. Olivares. It's, say that again? Olivares. Olivares. He's a great producer. Okay. Oli- we, we have one of their wines in store that's an earlier pick, but they actually make um, a high elevation uh, dessert style wine. Okay. It's, yeah. Oh, I'm going to take one on the way out. Okay. Olivares. Yes. Is it in my budget? Yeah. 
It my, is. My wine beat $20 range yeah, budget. It is, yes. We, we did this far too quickly, <laughs> and it was still a kind of a long podcast, but I, I, think we did, I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah. Thank you for sitting with me. I feel like we could have talked about this for a lot longer. Oh, we totally could have. Um, next time, because I'll arm twist you into doing more. Uh, you know, I don't think we'll try to do all of Italy or... Uh, I don't think we could do all of Italy. No, that would be crazy. But even Spain, I mean, we just didn't do it justice. Uh, smaller chunks, maybe. Yes. Because you could do, you know, you could do Piemonte, you could do Sicily, you could do an entire podcast on Sicily. Or, That's true. Um, maybe we'll uh, come back and do La Rioja or... Anyway, it's... Sherry. I've really enjoyed... More Sherry. Oh, sorry, Sherry. That's the <laughs> priority. <laughs> it's been a blast. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. I've learned a lot. Great. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Shannon. Thank you. See ya. Well, that's it. Between this part two and part one, which I hope you've already listened to, that's everything you ever needed to know about the wines of Spain. Not really. I mean, again, we're just scratching the surface. But didn't, don't you think Shannon did a great job? Um, I, I hope that was a you know, kind of like a, a, a teaser about the wines of Spain. It's an opportunity to go to the wine store and look through the labels and think about, think about all that's there and maybe discover some stuff that you've, uh, you've never had a chance to taste before. You know, whether it's Monastrell, whether it's Tempranillo, whether it's Chucoli from, uh, from, from, from the uh, Basque country, uh, whether it's Albarino, which is like a star wine now from Rias Baixas. All that stuff, uh, Montsant, well, really great Grenache, uh, Garnacha from Montsant, so, so much. Anyway, a thousand thanks to Shannon for doing this. I, it was it was a lot of fun to sit down with her in her in her warehouse with lights being turned off and on and people coming and going and helicopters flying overhead. But we had a, we had a, we had a good time doing it. I hope we get a chance to do other wine regions. For the Wine Beat, this is Craig signing off. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.